Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Pastor James Coates was arrested and sent to prison a couple of weeks ago in Canada. What did he do? He held a church service. Coates was denied bail. Apparently, he is set to be released soon. He is still facing at least one charge. His wife, Erin, said he had a very tough time in jail. He was placed in a two-week quarantine, only allowed to leave the cell twice for 15 minutes each time. It's a shocking story. We spoke to Erin Coates earlier about her husband's case. Here's what she told us. Ms. Coates, thanks very much for coming on. It's hard to believe, it's shocking, really, that your husband is in jail. First, how's he doing? Well, he's in prison. He, he's facing all the regular things you would face there, trouble with food, and, you know, I don't even really know what to say. How is he doing? He is yeah. a, he's a shepherd. He's a, he's a Bible teacher. He's a theologian. He's not able to shepherd the people that he loves. He's not able to challenge his mind. He's not able to serve in the way that he loves to serve people. So this is, this is hard on him. A grown man sitting in prison for preaching a sermon. And welcome to Stand Up For The Truth, brothers and sisters, the remnant of truth proclaimers and defenders. You are going to be blessed and inspired today by our guest and the podcast and his story. And I'm not a prophet, but I'm just going out on a limb and saying, um, just get ready. I've got a new book in my hand. I love it. I read it. It's called God Versus Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. Now, I want to just share with you um, a couple years ago when I returned from the Liberty Pastors Conference in Texas, um, that was a catalyst in my life. And it not only impacted me personally and my faith, I was iron sharpens iron. You know what I mean? Uh, iron. <laughs> it's, uh, it says that for a reason in, in Proverbs. But also, this podcast was affected by. For the, uh, maybe a renewed passion, but also the guests that we have had on in the last couple of years. And the numbers reflect that, the donations, the prayers, the encouragement we've had from listeners all across the country and in uh, three or four countries. We have been blessed because of what has happened. And it took persecution. It took the heavy hand of government. And it took the remnant to respond. And that's what we're going to talk about today. First, I want to shout out to our friends uh, family in Canada who put up this page for us, redpillprints.com. They've got a Stand Up For The Truth page. Uh, God bless them. Uh, they just added another item, a hoodie, Faith Over Fear, a hooded sweatshirt. They've got uh, coffee mugs, water bottles, T-shirts, uh, hats, and we're just so thankful. So check that out at standupforthetruth.com. Upper left-hand corner, it simply says merch. So now let's get into today's podcast. I'm so thankful to have on with us author, but before he was an author, co-author, he's the pastor in, in Canada that we are talking about today, and we're so thankful to have him on, James Coates, who was imprisoned for simply keeping his church open. Now, we've had Pastor Tim Stevens on the podcast. We've had a lot, a handful, not a lot, a handful of pastors here in the States that had lawsuits, had threats from the government, had, they faced heavy fines, and we are inspired by these stories. Why? Because when people take a stand for Christ and a biblical approach, it encourages the rest of us. So I want to bring him on right now. Pastor James Coates, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Hey, David. Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Um, I, I'm listening to your sermons from time to time, and we'll talk about that when we get into your book, how... Um, you veered off the path of going verse by verse through the Bible or whatever book or series you were in and talked about things that were impacting the church and how to respond to tyranny, to when the government gets heavy-handed and comes against the church and treats the church differently than it treated you know, businesses or other things. But we'll get into that. The book is called God versus Government. Uh, James, where is the best place to get it? I know there's a dedicated site to the book? I know it's on Amazon. Where do you suggest people look this up? I think for the most part, you've got to buy it online. So mm -hmm. Amazon.com would be one 
way to purchase it. Anywhere you can basically purchase books online, Barnes and Noble, you should be able to get your hands on a copy of God vs. Government. Okay, um, we'll send people there. We're going to link to that at t- in today's podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. Um, what did you, uh, have you heard that interview in recent days, weeks, months of your wife on Fox News? Did you have any thoughts while we played that clip to start off the podcast? Because that was a time when you were in jail. Yeah, I've listened to that clip, that, that interview, a few times since I've been out of prison for various reasons, even in the writing of the book, because I, I, I tell how that interview played an instrumental role uh, in my release even. And, and so I've listened to that a number of times since then. Hearing it in that moment just a, just a second ago, I was emotional, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I know Tucker Carlson's voice rather well. Uh, I'm familiar with his show and, uh, and, and partake in it often. So, yeah, to hear him... His voice addressing my situation, taking me back to when I was still in prison um, in that particular moment, mm. uh, it, it, uh, I felt it for sure. So the book, God vs. Government, uh, it starts off with a foreword from Pastor John MacArthur. Love his teaching. Um, and he says, three basic biblical truths must be emphasized first. And this, we never thought we would have to re-emphasize this because government in North America deemed the church non-essential. So he says, first, the church is essential. Second, the church must gather regularly and corporately. Third, the church is duty-bound to obey Christ even when doing so violates governmental regulations and restrictions. Um, James, you've uh, gone to Master's Seminary, and you've obviously uh, known Pastor John MacArthur, but he had definitely stepped out and spoken up for you on your behalf during your trial, uh, even leading up to the time you were uh, in prison. So share a little bit about that, how that encouraged you. Well, that was one of the biggest encouragements early on in my imprisonment because he reached out to my wife with uh, a voicemail that, that he had left for her. It was a, a voicemail that came to my wife through his daughter, directly from uh, MacArthur. And so um, so he left that, and then she relayed that to me, actually writing it uh, in a, a letter she sent to me. She also read it to me over the phone as far as what he had said, repeating mm-hmm. it for me. It was difficult for me to hear it otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it was incredibly encouraging because what he shared in that, uh, in that voicemail was just how encouraged he was and how he had been listening to my sermons and, and had been very encouraging with respect to what he was hearing from our pulpit ministry. And so for me, given that he has had the biggest impact on my life as far as my ministry is concerned, uh, to have his praise, his encouragement was uh, was amazing. And I, I did not expect any of that. I mean, even as we were sizing up what was going to take place as far as the impact that my imprisonment could have. We were thinking about Alberta and how it would impact Alberta and maybe, you know, Canada. But the way that this impacted uh, the world really was way beyond anything that we had anticipated. And that had nothing to do with why we did what we did. But when you're in a battle like this, you're, you're trying to, you know, weigh how this is going to go and, and what impact is this going to have? And is it going to wake people up? So when we saw just the way this was impacting the world. I mean, I got letters from Germany, and I think I got a letter from Iraq, and, and just bizarre places like that. Uh, you just you just had no way of being able to calculate that ahead of time. Well, you got letters from people uh, both in regular churches and maybe even the underground church saying, uh, kudos, brother. Um, and it's interesting, in, in the book on page 52, it says, when the Puritan John Bunyan refused to stop preaching— He was put in jail for 12 years. Many other examples could be given, but the point is clear. To obey God rather than men is not always easy. You know, we like to quote that, right? Isn't that Acts 5.29? Yes, obey God, not men. But when it comes down to it, will we respond faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ? And it says in that, um, at the end of that chapter, James Coates is a living illustration of that same kind of resolve When government officials interfered with his congregation's ability to meet and worship, James and his fellow elders determined they must choose God over government. And it says, you were arrested, you you appeared before the judge, you were told you would be released if you stopped holding church services, but you respectfully answered that you could not 
do so. Kind of uh, reminds me of Martin Luther. Um, uh, how, what Do you remember his quote, right? What did he say? He can do no other. Here I stand. I can do no other. Do you remember that mm-hmm. exact quote? Yeah, that's it. You got it. Yeah. So praise God for him. There's so much, James, that I underlined in this book. And by the way, I want to let people know what the actual the website is if you don't want to go to Amazon, because some people don't like to support Amazon. My books are on Amazon. It's just a necessary way to get them out there for some. We don't have other options. But there is a website specifically for the book that was released last month. It's called GodVersGovernment.com. GodVSGovernment.com. If you want to go directly to that site and order the book, you will be inspired, friends. So, James, I underlined so much, we'll never get to it all. But unfortunately, we learned um, we needed to go back to the basics of what the church is, why we worship, and what are we called to do, and what is our biblical responsibility to the congregation, to the people, as opposed to unlimited submission to government. Would you like to just give first an overview of that? Because I know you're preaching changed. This is before you were arrested and imprisoned. You felt it necessary to (laughs) repeat sermons, for example, Daniel uh, 3, I think, and just share on what you realized as you were doing your typical preaching, as a faithful pastor would do, verse by verse. You decided, you know, we need to address what's happening right now in our country or in our culture. So share a little bit about that. Well, I was in the Gospel of John. In fact, I still am. We're in John 16 at this point in time, and and there have been times throughout the quote-unquote pandemic when I felt it was necessary to address a particular issue that happened back in June of 2020, because I preached a sermon on Romans 13 at that time, which was the first of three in this season that was called Putting Government in Its Place, and that was just a a, a standard treatment of Romans 13 that, that expressed the reality that there comes a point when in our obedience to God, we must defy the governing authorities. And so that's that's not rocket science. Now, <laughs> you, you referenced Acts 5.29. Everyone wants to quote that. Yep. What what many have done with that verse is they've limited that to the gospel. So, so basically, if the government permits you to preach the gospel, then, then they're not really infringing on anything. Acts 5.29, for many people, only applies to those times when the government is telling you you are not allowed to preach the gospel. Now, if they let you preach the gospel and infringe on any other aspect of the Christian life, that's all in play, Hmm. which is just whittling the Christian life down to um, only the gospel that we preach. Now, the gospel is critical, central, of primary importance. And so, absolutely, if the government says you cannot preach the gospel, then by all means, you need to defy that. Having said that, Acts 5 is, is preventing the apostles from preaching in Jesus' name. It's not simply preaching the gospel, but it's preaching in a manner consistent with his character and authority. Oh, that's good. And, and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So to preach in his name is to herald him as the Lord. And if you herald him as Lord, you are calling everyone everywhere to submit to his lordship in repentance and faith. So... So the, the whole context of Acts 529 is not limited to preaching the gospel. It, it, it encompasses the whole of the Christian life. When the government tells you to do something that God forbids or tells you not to do something that God commands, you have a, an obligation to defy that. And that's the case, obviously, in the context of the church, or rather the government telling the church, when it can worship, where it can worship, how it can worship, and everything else, because that's not its jurisdiction. Hmm. That's the jurisdiction of Christ. Uh, Pastor James Coates, what you just shared um, should be basic knowledge and understanding, but unfortunately it's not. Unfortunately, what you just shared was eye-opening to way too many people, maybe not as many in, in the audience of Stand Up for the Truth, but in, the, in general, in Christians in North America— what you stated was how you explained preaching in Jesus' name covers his character, the integrity, what his whole message, all things he taught, not just the gospel. Um, that is so important to recognize. So um, let me just ask you, you know, you're the pastor, teacher of Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Canada. Um, your congregation, even as, as biblically mature as they probably are, because they sit under a pastor uh, of sound doctrine and a, a good Bible teacher— as yourself, but even that congregation, your congregation, 
Uh, where were they at in this understanding that you just explained? Something to, to us, it seems very basic and people should know that, but yet we really haven't had examples to apply that, have we? We haven't. We've talked about it a lot, theoretically, because we've been in our part of the world where persecution hasn't been a reality and government oppression hasn't been a reality. Mm -hmm. but we could see it coming. I think all of us could see it coming. Not, not in this form. I mean, no one would have predicted that a virus like COVID-19 would be the tool used for government to begin to oppress not just the church, but all of society. That was, that was outside the box. But nevertheless, we, we knew it was coming. You can see it coming in terms of the way that governments are legislating and everything else. The hostility towards Christ and the church is definitely on the rise and has been for quite some time. So I think our people understood there comes a point when you obey God, not men. Now, the, the health the health issue of, of a virus, yes. you know, that's kind of unique. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that has us having to think a little bit outside the box of how we would normally, you know, think through these issues because we're not, we're not used to the governing authorities using something like health to, to um, I guess, manipulate or coerce our obedience to them. And so there's no question that there, there, did, there was the need for application of the Word of God to this unique set of circumstances to make sure that our people were ready and equipped to be able to respond accordingly. But having said that, in our church, we would have had a variety of, of groups. We would have had some who were thinking we should have stayed open from the get-go, <laughs> and they were ready to defy the governing authorities from, from day one. They saw this whole thing for what it was, mm -hmm. and so they were ready. We would have had folks in our congregation, and we did, who wanted us to comply and never supported our stand. And those folks have in large part left the church. And that was relatively few. I mean, our, we didn't lose a lot of people in our stand. And then we had folks that uh, once they heard the word of God address these issues, mm -hmm. I mean, they were ready to stand. It was just an instantaneous response to the preaching of God's word. And, and, and we were galvanized to come together and take this stand together. So we had, we had expressions of, of all of that in our church and uh and our church was resilient and um and and just responded incredibly well to a very difficult time we're speaking with pastor james coates uh, pastor teacher of grace life church edmonton canada we've got three minutes left in this segment james and there's so much i want to ask you but i like what uh, john MacArthur said in the foreword talking about plagues pandemics persecution have frequently threatened the people of god since that first pentecost and uh, he said, COVID is a wake-up call and a reminder to believers of how tenuous that liberty that we enjoy is. Um, pastors in supposedly free countries were literally jailed for weeks because they led worship services during the lockdowns. The, and he said, your example serves as a compelling testimony of pastoral courage and unwavering conviction. I know it took a lot for you to get to the point where, I mean, you wrestled with the idea because you didn't know how the government was going to respond. You didn't know if you would go to prison, if they would just fine you or threaten your church or if they would actually take you to prison. But I remember reading last night, I don't remember where it is, uh, what chapter it was, but where you had some sort of relief that, okay, you've, you've faced w the worst possible scenario, what could happen. And then you said, all right, then you had a piece. Can you explain that briefly? So in January of 2021, we were taken to court and ordered to comply with a, a health order that basically demanded that we comply with the public health restrictions for our gatherings. And we came together as a leadership and wrestled through how to respond to that and determined that we were going to defy that court order. So the, the fallout of that would be the potentiality of AHS, which is our health governing body, taking us back to court and holding us in contempt of court, which would ultimately fall to me. And if I were guilty of contempt of court, which I likely would have been, uh, I could have up to two years in prison. Now, at that time, though I knew prison was a possibility, just as this whole thing was going to develop, when it came time to defy that court order, I really didn't think that it was a, a likely possibility that that would be the thing that put me in jail. Hmm. So when I spoke to my lawyer on the Saturday prior to that Sunday, I asked him what the likely, what, what it was, the likelihood of it. And he said it was pretty likely. Mm. And, uh, and I said, well, how long? He said probably a couple months of prison time. So, so that was kind of, when you hear those words from your lawyer, um, and he, he's a believer, he, mm. he was there from the, from the get go with us. And, and so 
yeah, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. And it hit me physiologically. It hit me in every way you could possibly think. And I had to wrestle with the Lord. I mean, I had a migraine brewing. I, I was just, I was, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders digesting the reality that simply by doing what I normally do on a Sunday, I'm likely going to end up in jail. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just, the Lord was gracious. He ministered to me. It was a couple of hours of wrestling on Sunday or on Saturday, that is. And, uh, and I came out, came out of that. The Lord carried me through that. And I was, I was ready. Mm -hmm. I was ready to, to, to follow the Lord, even if it meant my imprisonment. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the Lord, he gets the glory in that. He strengthened me, ministered to me, carried me through, and made me ready to follow him, uh, even to, uh, to change. We're speaking with Pastor James Coates. We've got to take our first break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about how uh, he was arrested, how he continued to trust God from behind bars, uh, put in isolation, and how that went down. Also, this is going to come up again, friends. Many of us are believing that they, government, the globalists, are going to come up with another crisis, maybe use another virus. They're going to take this to the next level. Will the church be ready? This book, God versus Government, is required reading. More on Standard for the Truth when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Believers have had to face the collision of their duty to government authority and their submission to the Lordship of Christ. Studies have demonstrated the pandemic was not nearly as deadly as initially projected. And this book that I have in my hand, God vs. Government, is about government overreach and how civil authorities exploited a public health issue, the crisis, right, the pandemic, to stir up fear, which thank you to the complicit media for making that whole situation worse by fear-mongering, and shutting down freedom. So we're blessed to have Pastor James Coates on the line today from Canada. He's the pastor-teacher of Grace Life Church in Edmonton. James, my wife is from Toronto and family, and I have other relatives in um, Vancouver. You just told me during the break that there is a, there are restrictions on travel, on flying, um, I don't know that I knew all the details. Could you please share that? Because that's kind of surprising with knowing the numbers and how the, the pandemic was blown up to something that it really wasn't. Well, I would say that the trucker convoy that took place, I guess, a couple of months ago, uh, fundamentally was over this issue. Uh-huh. Uh, there were certainly health restrictions in place throughout the country at that time, provincially. And the trucker convoy has largely done away with that. It was effective in doing away with that. But the mandate that was kind of the, 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 the big overarching one is that unless you're vaxxed, you cannot travel in our country. Not just flights, but even train, I believe bus. Wow. You need to have evidence of a vaccine that you are fully vaxxed in order to be able to, to travel. So we cannot fly anywhere in our country today. And in fact, we can't even fly into the U.S. I've tried to get into the U.S. twice now uh, to uh, to be there for conferences. Once in January, uh, another in March, hmm. and I was I was prevented from doing so because of my vaccine status. Now, wow. interestingly enough, as of today, the the mandate in place that prevents Canadians from coming into the U.S. expired actually yesterday. So we're all kind of waiting to see what your administration is going to do in terms of whether they re-up that, extend it, or whether that dies. And if it does die, it'll be interesting to see what it does as far as our prime minister's concerned, because um, it would, in theory, apply some pressure on him to adjust course in the context of our country. But, but the fact that a vaccine is being used right now to prevent anyone from traveling mm -hmm. is ludicrous. Yes. I mean, it's unscientific. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's, it's illegal as it relates to constitutions and, and our charter of rights and freedom. So it's, it's, it's ludicrous that a vaccine that does not work is, is the thing that is preventing people from exercising their civil liberties. James, does this come from each province or does this come down from the emperor? I mean, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Yeah, it's emperor Trudeau. <laughs> so this is a federally mandated okay. um, vaccine thing. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it comes down from Trudeau. So uh, from my understanding, and maybe you can clarify and just inform our audience here, most of our audience is from the states, 
Um, he is a disciple of the World Economic Forum and, and a globalist and uh, touts some things that Christians would be very, should be very concerned about, especially in Canada. Um, he, but he still didn't—wasn't he reelected and uh, people continue to keep him in power? What, what, can you explain that? He did not win the popular vote. So, um, so in the last election, the conservatives won the popular vote. Now, our conservative party is a, a left of center conservative party, mm-hmm. so they aren't uh, a truly conservative party. Yeah. But nevertheless, he did not win the popular vote. Uh, he he won what you guys would call the electoral college vote, and uh, and so there are just segments in our country that are incredibly liberal, and uh, and they 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 vote that way. Now, it's possible that with the the, the, the trucker convoy and the emergencies act that, that was a huge miscalculation on his part and that he may have disenfranchised many of his voters. And mm. so we got to wait till 2025, Ugh. but it could be that in 2025 <laughs> we would be able to vote him out and assuming it's a free and fair election, of course, yeah. and, uh, and get someone in that would uh, be less of a tyrant than he is. Oh my goodness. Uh, th- but that's putting it might be less of a tyrant. Come on. That, that bar is pretty low up there in Canada now, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, we've uh, got a guy who's now running. There's a big, um, you know, thing going on right now for the conservative party at the federal level. And, and that leadership is open and available. And, uh, and so there's a number of, of candidates vying for that. And, and, uh, a couple of them are certainly more conservative than Justin mm. Trudeau, and, uh, and and they would be a much better option for sure to lead our country. Absolutely. Oh, Lord, help us. Um, well, we need the church to engage. We need repentance. We need revival. We can't play church. We can't um, conform to the world any longer. And I think North America, as you said in a couple places in the book, uh, if it was you or, or someone writing about what happened, that we have taken our freedoms for granted. And I think, if I remember right, James, even you said um, at some point you just really took the freedom that we have, the religious freedom to be the church. We took that for granted, and it's no different really in Canada and the States, is that? Well, and I, I think we took all of our freedoms for granted. Yes. Um, I mean, just basic things like going to a restaurant. I mean, until... Uh, sometime in March, I, if I'm not mistaken, we couldn't even go to a restaurant because we didn't have a vaccine passport. So, um, so just the basic fundamental liberties that we've enjoyed, uh, in my case, my whole life were taken away. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we took it all for granted. And, and that's, that's certainly the case as far as religious liberty. There's no question that things in the Western world are changing mm-hmm. and that's, there's, there's an agenda at work and, uh, who is actually behind that agenda, aside from just identifying that it's Satan himself, yep. would be difficult to um, to identify all the major players involved in that. But there's certainly an effort toward globalism, which you have to do away with patriotism, nationalism, and everything else. That's why they hated Trump so much. Yep. And so um, that's, that's the push that's happening right now in the Western world, for sure. And the church is in the way. The Church of Christ is in their way, and of course, the freedoms that we have. Um, The book is called God Versus Government, subtitled Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. James, one of the words that you use often in the book, God Versus Government, is non-compliance. So could you just uh, lay that out and explain that, what that means for Western Christians in today's secular culture, non-compliance? Well, there's going to be times when the government imposes on the church certain uh, laws, restrictions, whatever you want to call it, and and those restrictions, those laws, are going to infringe on the lordship and headship of Christ over his church. And at that point, noncompliance is necessary because we have a responsibility to walk in obedience to Christ. Even if you go back to the Great Commission, where we're to go to all the nations and make disciples and baptize them, and teach them all that the Lord commanded us. We we have a responsibility to teach everything the Lord has commanded us. That's because we're to obey everything the Lord has commanded us. So so when the governing authorities begin to infringe on or get in the way of those commandments, uh, we have a responsibility to be non-compliant. Mm-hmm. Now we do that graciously. Yes, we do that in a Christ-like manner. We don't. We don't do that cont- 
cantankerously. Uh, we, we do that, we do that graciously and, and in a godly manner, but we do it with courage and conviction and resolve, and we're just immovable. And, and the governing authorities at that point in time, they can do what they believe they need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they've got the sword for that reason. So if they're going to bring consequences against us for our stand, they can do that. They're going to be held accountable for that. So at the end of the day, if they misuse their authority, they're going to give an account. And if they, if they go into that account without Christ, they're going to suffer eternal judgment for not just that sin, but all of their sin and, and most importantly, the, the rejection of Christ. So, so I mean, we, we have to be faithful to Christ. That's going to require noncompliance in moments, and uh, we do that with graciousness. So, uh, wow, there's so much, so many ways we could go now in, in the uh, interview, but I do want to address um, when, before you were arrested, uh, there was a time that the authorities came and they issued you, I think it was a fine Maybe it was $1,200. I don't remember the exact amount. But you said you described it as they came in kind of sheepishly. They didn't want to be there. So do you find that a lot of people working for the government or the authorities just thought what they were putting you through was ridiculous? Describe that. Uh, yeah, even in my first arrest, uh, the, the two officers that were there for that arrest expressed that it pained them to be there and do what they were doing. Hmm. And now some would say, well, they shouldn't have been there. Uh, they, they, they should have refused that order. And, and a case can be made if that's the case. That's true. Having said that, if they did refuse the order, somebody else would be there, and they might not be as kind and gracious about it. So I think from their vantage point, they were there recognizing that, hey, if we, if we do this, look, they've, they've honored us, and we did. We gave the RCMP, which is our police services, a standing ovation numerous Sundays in a row. And so if they've honored us, we need to honor them. And so the guys that were there, Though they were there to arrest me, and though they shouldn't have arrested me, um, they they were doing so in a way that that we may not have received had it been a different set of of officers. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the governing authorities, they, the, the the police services, the the law enforcement, they need to recognize when it's time to defy their orders that Mm. are given to them. And and that's been a failure on their part in this season, for sure. Yes, I think we've seen that in America. Actually, we we have seen a lot of uh, sheriffs or or others that uh, were heads of law enforcement say, no, we're not going to enforce certain orders. So we've seen some of that. I would like to see more, as I'm sure you would, too. But, James, toward the end of the book, you said, let's talk about the church and other church leaders they were very slow to get on board, weren't they? Except for, I think, as, as Jacob Rayumia. Did I say that right, Pastor Jacob? Yeah, Pastor Jacob was there from the get-go. I just didn't know he was there. And it, was, <laughs> it was our stand that made him aware of us, and then we, we were made aware of him, uh, and that was even prior to my imprisonment because he was uh, instrumental in a sense as far as us staying open and defining that court order because on the same weekend that that we would be going into the, the risk of contempt of court, so is he, and his church has been fined, you know, in, in six figures for uh, services that they've had in contempt of court. So there's no question there have been uh, pastors throughout our country that kept their doors open and took the same stand that we did. Ours just got very uh, public and, and far more visible because mine resulted in my imprisonment. And keep in mind that, that my imprisonment wasn't a sentence that was given to me. When I was brought before the justice of the peace, I was given a release. Hmm. I was ordered release. There was just a condition in that release, and the condition was that I agree not to host services that that, that were uh, in noncompliance with the Public Health Act, and I, I couldn't do that. Hmm. I, I, told, I told the RCMP officer I can't sign that condition of release. And so when push came to shove, I wouldn't sign the condition, and therefore, I had to be taken to a maximum security prison. And I, I could have walked at any point in time. All I had to do is say, I'm ready to sign my condition, which I could not do because mm-hmm. it would have violated my conscience and, and conviction. And so I, 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 didn't, I didn't do that. And it, it wasn't until my condition was altered, the, the terms of my release were altered, that I was able to leave prison and have no restrictions on my ability to pastor our church. And so I came out and was able to do that, shepherd the flock, and, and, and the response of the governing authorities to that was they, they locked our building. 
and that's when we became the uh, the Underground Church of Canada. Wow! Just and it's an amazing story. It is inspiring. But we we are here. You are here for such a time as this. We need bold biblical leaders and. I think there were a couple churches that were standing with you, agreeing with your stance at the time. Uh, toward the end, um, there you said, I think there were around 20 churches in Canada. You know, is it your understanding or your, I don't know, speculation that this is going to happen again, something similar that the government will try to do? And if that's the case, approximately how many churches are you aware of that would uh, take a stand, as you did? It's a good question. I'm not sure I could put a number on that, but the network of pastors in our country has definitely grown, and there are a number of pastors all throughout the country who have taken the right stand and kept their doors open, and, and, and that could just increase as far as the number of guys. For example, there are a number of pastors in my province that normally under, under normal circumstances we would, we would see as being faithful churches. They preach the Word. Uh, they're committed to the same uh, theology and doctrine that we are, and yet they they complied in this time, and I think that was a failure on their part to see this for what it was. Now, Lord willing, next time round, as as maybe another situation arises, the trigger is breached for them, the threshold is breached for them, and they will take the same stand. So, so the number of churches can only increase in reality as things move on. As far as what's the next thing on the horizon, I'm not sure. Um, you know, COVID nineteen seems to be dying and on life support at the same time you can see that you know they're talking about increases in uh, case numbers and all the rest of it and and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in your country as it relates to the election in november of course and whether or not there's a free and fair election for you guys Mm -hmm. but um i think climate change is big i think uh you know we've had politicians in our country say that what we learned from COVID 19 and the lockdowns is going to be applied to climate change and and uh, what we found out because of the lockdown is that our emissions in our country were, were diminished as a result of that. And so now there's talk about, you know, when, with, with climate change and trying to limit our emissions, you know, that, that they're going to use the same tactics as it were. And the whole idea that, that climate change is an existential threat to, to mankind is a myth. Yeah. It's a complete myth. It's more of a myth than COVID-19 being a threat to mankind was. And, and so uh, that whole notion is ridiculous. There, there, there's no science behind that whatsoever. And so I think that's going to be an issue that, that we see uh, that, that ends up providing some, some opposition and oppression from the governing authorities. So it doesn't just impact the church, although certainly the church, yes. but all society. Yes, it will. And yes, it's a demonic agenda because it removes God as creator and it puts the emphasis on people and man, and human beings are the problem, so we've got to limit the population and do all these regulations, and it's about power and control. We're speaking with James Coates, pastor, teacher, Grace Life Church, Edmonton, Canada. When we come back from our break, we'll talk about what elements are essential for corporate gathering. Also, how can we get ready for the future? Friends, we know it's coming. Things are intensifying. More with Pastor James Coates. The book is called God vs. Government next on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. You should get this book and give it to your pastor, elder, church leader. Maybe buy a handful of them. We are going to need it, friends. We are going to need to biblically discern and apply what's going to come down in the future. It's called God Versus Government, Taking a Biblical Stand. When Christ and Compliance Collide. And the website is godversegovernment.com, or you can go to amazon.com, of course. It's up there as well. Just came out last month. Um, James, I want to quote uh, Jenna Ellis, who uh, commented when the, the, I believe the case was settled uh, that she represented uh, John MacArthur's uh, church in California. She said, or she issued this statement, the church is essential. Religious liberty and the Constitution won today against the overbroad, arbitrary, indeterminate, and clearly unconstitutional mandates from Gavin Newsom and Los Angeles County. She said, I hope this hard-fought result encourages Californians and all Americans to stand firmly with the protections our Constitution rightly provides 
and against tyranny. Um, very specific maybe to their case in California, but I'm sure much of it, if not all of it, applies to your case as well in Canada, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, the, the Constitution in the U.S. is a document, and even our Charter of Rights and Freedoms recognizes the supremacy of God. Mm. When it comes to worship, uh, that, that's a fundamental, inalienable right. That's a God-given right. It's not a privilege that the government grants at their whim. No, that's a, a God-given right. And even the governing authorities themselves are in place as God's servant, Romans 13, and their job is to punish evil and praise those who do good. So, so the governing authorities need to recognize that these rights are rights they're in place to protect and defend. When they begin to infringe on these rights and liberties, they're actually um, outside of their lane and now not fulfilling the, the role that they've been given by God. Again, they will be accountable to God for that. So when it comes to uh, the, the worship of the church, this is a, a responsibility that is delegated to us by the Lord. The Lord is mm. the head of the church. That, that means he's the authority. He's outlined in his word how we're to worship, what are the elements of worship, what are the essential elements of worship. And so he's the one that dictates that to the church. And it's critical that we recognize what that is and, and, in, and ensure that if the governing authorities ever attempt again— to, to reach inside the walls of the church mm -hmm. and to meddle with the, the, the means of grace and the, the, the essential elements of worship that, that we are not going to yield and comply uh, with their edicts. Uh, I was going to talk about that, uh, the statement, Christ not Caesar is the head of the church, but you brought up something about the elements of worship. What elements are essential for the corporate gathering? Because you read about that on page 156. Well, certainly the preaching of God's Word. We see that, for example, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the Word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Amen. So the preaching of God's Word is critical and, and, and really is, is essential, central. I would say it's the primary means of grace for the building up of the body of Christ, and so that's critical. Corporate prayer, uh, we know that prayer is critical. We see that in 1 Timothy 2, um, I believe it's verse 7, that describes men lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension, that mm. corporate prayer is critical to the life of the Church. Prayer is a, an expression of worship, and so the, the corporate Church is to come together and to, to pray. There's obviously the, the, the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, baptism. These are, are, are critical elements of the corporate gathering as well. You can even put church discipline in there, because that too is a corporate event, mm. and, and certainly that's one of the events you certainly can't you can't fulfill in the context of a virtual gathering. You're not going to do church discipline virtually for the, you know, for the whole world to witness. That's a, a family event, and so it's, it's those who are there and present that are that are that are being that are to be engaged in that. And so you've got singing. Singing is a critical element. The governing authorities are telling us we couldn't sing. Gosh. They're saying you can't sing. We know from <laughs> Ephesians five eighteen and following, as well as Colossians three sixteen, that that singing is the natural outworking of being filled with the Spirit, it's the natural outworking of the Word of Christ dwelling in, dwelling in us richly. Hmm. So, so these are all elements that are critical to the corporate gathering and, and fellowship. I mean, well, you need to be together. Yes. One another's are, are, are realities that, that are the outworking of all of the means of grace. And so as the Church comes together to worship Christ, and the Word of God is preached, and, and, and songs and hymns are sung, and and there's corporate prayer, when that, when that structured portion of the service is complete, we need to come together and one another and serve each other and encourage one another and be involved in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. and, and that requires the, the church to be together. Um, and, and so the, the gathering corporately in person is essential. You know, the, the whole idea that virtual church is a legitimate replacement to the, the real in-person gathering I've used a number of different ways to illustrate how that's just not the case. We could talk about, uh, you know, dating your wife virtually or, or physical <laughs> intimacy with your wife virtually, and we could we could do that. How about this? What about heaven virtually? Hmm. I mean, we're all going to heaven, so so how about we just settle for virtual heaven? We're never going <laughs> to actually get to heaven and be in the presence of Christ. No, we're going to do that virtually, and that's the same thing. I mean, there's not really any difference between between, you know, being in heaven in the actual presence of the glory, the glory of Christ, or mm. doing that virtually. I mean, I think that makes the point 
uh, pretty pretty clearly that yes. the virtual does not replace the in person. That's a that's a that's a ludicrous thought. So, yes, it is. Uh, so there's there's no question. This is these are these are matters that are that are significant. And I think we can say this that this season has shown that the church in general has a, a very low ecclesiology, mm. a very low worship, a very low understanding of what to take place in the corporate gathering, the, the value placed on coming together as God's people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and worshiping Christ together in person has been uh, downgraded significantly. James, you're talking about biblical illiteracy. How, what's the, how do we remedy that, or ha, are we too far gone? I know there's always hope as long as Christ has not returned yet. He's got his spirit in us. We've got some faithful men of God, but I, I agree. I mean, Barna Research, Pew, Lifeway, all these polls say pe- less and less people have a true biblical worldview. What's the remedy? It's the preaching of God's Word. I mean, the the, the state of the church today is the, the byproduct of a lack of biblical preaching. And so we're just reaping the, we're, we're reaping what we've sown as far as the seeker friendly movement and yes. postmodernism and, and all of the fads and trends that have infiltrated the church and have just, just really done away with the word of God and the preaching of God's word. That It's the preaching of the word of God. And, and you'll hear historians say this, that, that every reformative, work that's ever taken place throughout history in the church has always been a direct result of the preaching of God's word. And so if we if we want to see the church be healthy, if we want to see revival, it's going to be through the preaching of God's word. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I want to, before we get to a question about how we can be ready as Christians to prepare for the future and what's already here and what's going to be coming against us, um, people would like to know what your experience in prison was. I know you were isolated for almost 24 hours. You had two 15-minute exercise breaks, if I remember that. How long were you in prison? Explain the, the process of being— I th- You know what's interesting? When you wrote about when you went to prison, you were with two other criminals, and I'm thinking, here's Jesus with the two thieves on the cross, right? There's two other guys with you. You didn't do anything wrong. So share a little about, about that in the process and just the highs and lows maybe emotionally of when you were behind bars. Well, I was there for 35 days. For the first 16 or so, I was in quarantine, so I was permitted to be out of my cell for 15 minutes at a time twice a day. And there was one day when I think I was in my cell for 23 and a half hours between exercises. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's possible that some of the things that were happening to me inside were being done to get me to crack, yep. but they were trying to get me to uh, ask to sign my condition. So and obviously that didn't work and, and they just didn't realize that they were dealing with Christ and Christ in me and mm. the, the, the grace that he supplies to take the stand that he calls us to take. And so, uh, so yeah, coming into prison was unique. I came in with two other guys as I first came into the facility and, and they're like, so what are you in for? And they're telling me what they're in for. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm a pastor and I had church services. And so <laughs> even they at that point were just going like, are you serious? <laughs> that, that's why you're here. Mm. And and it didn't take long. I mean, even the guards, as I was being processed to come into the facility, they knew why I was there. I mean, the word had gotten out, got out quick. I mean, even as I was being driven to the, the remand center, uh, I, I, we were, I was in, in the vehicle with the officer. He's got the radio on. They're talking about me on the radio. I mean, <laughs> this was, this, this went quickly. Mm-hmm. Even, even inside the cell, we have access to radio. There's a talk radio station uh, that we have access to. And they were talking about me. In fact, they were playing <laughs> excerpts from my sermon in their news loop. So as I was like asleep at night, we left the radio on for whatever reason, I'd wake up and I'd hear my voice and I'm preaching on the radio. So, um, so yeah, that was coming in. There was there was certainly some support that came from uh, the guards. They mm. thought it was ridiculous that I was being, you know, um, processed as a criminal for holding church services, and uh, and and so I got a lot of support from the inmates, from the guards. That's good. Uh, my treatment uh, was positive. Well, James, can we talk about this Romans eight twenty eight moment this season? where the gospel is going out and you're behind bars. First of all, you heard it on the radio. When else would your uh, excerpts from your sermons have been on the radio for non-Christians, for other people in Canada and that area to hear? 
And and then, you know, of course, your wife being interviewed by Tucker Carlson on Fox News and the headlines, the gospel is going out. God is using this, has used it and is using this. What are your thoughts on that? Because he, of course, causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Well, we see it in the book of Acts. I mean, the apostles were there with the church in Jerusalem, and then persecution came. They had the spread into the region of Samaria, and then from there, they went to the Gentiles. And so persecution ends up being the the, the catalyst for the gospel to go forth with power. And so that's what happened in this context. The Lord saw fit to use our church in his providence to be uh, a beacon of, of light and truth in, in this dark season. And so we use that opportunity by his grace to preach the gospel at every opportunity that we got. Mm. And so we're, we're heralding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and, and, and the, the, the persecution that came against us and our stand gave us an opportunity to do that, an occasion to do that. And so as a result of this, the gospel has gone forth with power to, to more individuals than I'm sure I can even count at this point in time. So, you know, when you look at some of the naysayers that we've, we've had from other Christians and other pastors, what they fail to realize is that, that this has been an opportunity for Christ to be glorified. It's been an opportunity for people to hear the gospel and be saved, and it's resulted in the sanctification of God's people. So there's no question that through persecution, we're going to get the opportunity to testify to the world that its deeds are evil. And as we do that, we're going to herald Christ as the solution to that problem, the one whom they need to come to in saving faith mm-hmm. in order to be delivered from that sin. And, and, and those opportunities are going to just be, be given to us a plenty as we take the stands that Christ is calling us to take. Amen, brother. Uh, we've just got a minute left. And the book, friends, God versus Government, it's available now. It just came out last month. Amazon, or you can go right directly to the website, godversusgovernment.com. James, are there any updates, any legal uh, things still open or, or hanging over your church or yourself? Uh, can you give us a quick update? Yeah, there are. We've got, like, my ticket for 1200 bucks is still there, and, and so there's a, a, a challenge to that that we're going through. Um, and then there's a, a court summons that we have as well that could result in a hefty fine, but we intend to plead not guilty, even if it means paying more. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that stuff's pretty insignificant as far as I'm concerned. Nothing that I lose sleep over. Brother, um, I know you're a humble man of God, but he used you and your story and your stand to stiffen the spines of Christians and particularly more Christian leaders in North America. And I pray more pastors will get a hold of this book and get the biblical understanding and be able to take their stand if and when that opportunity would come. James Coates, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, thanks so much, David. Appreciate you having me. All right. Tomorrow, we've got Pastor Chris Quintana from Dallas, Texas. He's on. We'll talk about some cultural and world events focusing on globalism and, of course, tyranny is what we've been talking about. Religious freedom has been one of the biggest issues on this podcast over the last two-plus years. Uh, Jay Siegert coming up, talking about creation on the Starting Point Project. That's Monday. And then we've got our fundraiser, Q Drive, where we raise funds twice a year, next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And thank you for your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support of this ministry. Stand up for the truth. God bless you guys. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.